Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your people and their faithfulness. Ask, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to help us as we get into uh, some things this morning, hopefully to encourage, empower, enliven, and refresh us. And we give you thanks for everything that you are, everything that you pour into our lives. We give you thanks for the breath in our lungs, the way our heart is beating, that that constantly reminds us that no matter what's going on in our lives, we're totally loved, accepted, and supported by you. And so we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated, and if you have your Bible and want to turn there, we're going to look at Luke 19. This is uh, Holy Week. (laughs) It's what we called it in the Methodist Church. I'm sure some of you that grew up in more traditional churches like Catholic or Episcopalian or Lutheran, you might be familiar with Holy Week. Uh, This is Palm Sunday, so we're going to read the story from uh, Luke's Gospel. If you weren't here in the first service, uh, I really liked how the first service came out. So we will post it. So if you weren't here for the first service, you might want to go back and listen to that or watch it on YouTube. Luke 19, verse 28, it says, When he or Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, and he said, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you will say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So there were those, so those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he has said to them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to him, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And when they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And then as he went down, drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him in the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would cry out immediately. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Viktor Frankl. Uh, He's written a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And his story is that he was a survivor in the Holocaust or in the prison camps during World War II. He was Jewish. Um, When we talk about the Holocaust, we're usually thinking of those who died. So he's part of that period, but not part of the Holocaust because he actually survived. And the whole premise behind his his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is about how he was able to endure the tortures of the Nazi camps, how he was able to survive when others didn't survive, and how he was able to keep his sanity. And kind of the crux of it, the, the, the essence of, if you want to crystallize it into one statement, what he learned in that experience and his gift to humanity as a result of that would be that a human being can endure just about any what if they have a good enough why. 
Thus man search for meaning. So, so in other words, the way he processed and understood and the gift that he gave us was that he had to begin to look for meaning or purpose in circumstances where most people couldn't find meaning or purpose. That's how important purpose is. So, if you want to look again at Viktor Frankl or his, his gift to humanity, then what we can learn from that is that, you know, I mean, because, you know, life just doesn't go like we want it to go, right? But most of us aren't in circumstances that are that dire and horrible. Most of us will thankfully never have to experience anything close to that. And yet we can go through different difficult circumstances or trials or whatever in our life and still struggle, right? Now, here's the, the opposite of this is also true, though. We can have the perfect what... We can have a great set of circumstances where we never really endured much, where we never really went through much, where um, maybe you know life has been fairly good to us and kind to us and whatever, and yet still have an internal frustration or still not be at peace because you don't have a why for your what. <laughs> so, so in other words, the why is always more important than what's happening. In, in, in other words, even if your life is quote-unquote perfect, If you don't have a purpose, you're going to feel restless, you're going to feel discontented, you're going to feel like something's wrong, and and that might even be more frustrating, because if you've got a bunch of pressure going on in your life, and you've got a lot of difficult circumstances going on in your life, you have a reason to be upset, and so whatever you're feeling internally, you you can project onto whatever's going on in your life. I'm I'm discontented because I am on welfare. I'm discontented because I'm going through a divorce. I'm discontented because I have a disease. Whatever the case, whatever the circumstance, whatever the trial might be, right? But we all know this, right? And so a lot of us, here's my point, a lot of us find ourselves in places where discontent gets stirred up in our lives. Where we think we're going along and everything's going along just fine and something taps us on the shoulder, right? And all of a sudden now, uh, you, you just have a restlessness inside. You have a, discon- a discontentment inside. And oftentimes that is a wake-up call. Oftentimes that discontentment, that, that stirring that you have going on inside is sort of a wake-up call to awaken you to purpose, to awaken you to the why. Because we can spend so much time and energy and focus in our culture on the what, can't we? I want to make sure I get the right job. I want to make sure I get the right business. I want to make sure that I make my marriage work. I want to make sure that I make my family work. I want to make sure that I am well, that I'm healthy, that I live a long time. And there's all that focus on the what. But that what means absolutely nothing if you don't have a strong enough why. And 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 so for for a lot of us as human beings, we, we we really do become sheep. Now, one of the paradigms that I would like to see change in the church, and this may shock you, but one of the paradigms that I would like to see change in the church at large is the whole idea that the person who talks to you on Sunday or leads the church is a pastor. I've been trying to get around that for twenty some years. But here's why. Did you ever ask yourself, where did we get that? You know what pastor means, right? Pastor is just an old English word that means shepherd. Everybody say shepherd. Shepherd. It's mentioned in the Bible, pastor, the word in the King James Bible. King James, let's go all the way back 
to you know 16th century or whenever it was that they that they translated forgive me all you king james only people that i don't know exactly when king jimmy was doing working on the translations but let's go all the way back did you know the word pastor is used one time in the bible one time in in the book of ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 it says god gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists and some pastors and teachers now why we took pastor and made it the king <laughs> is beyond me. But here's the problem. See, and this is where, okay, my psychology background comes into play a little bit. Because we all realize we have a subconscious mind, right? That we make meaning. See, see, here's the reality. That we are at our essence, at our core, in the image of God. We are meaning-making beings. So that we have to give meaning to every experience that we go through. And we express that meaning in language, and we express that meaning oftentimes in metaphor. So if we say the person who leads the church is a pastor, then what we're implying is that the people who are coming to the church are sheep. Now, granted, there are some passages where God refers to Israel as sheep. Because he's talking to a shepherding community. (laughs) He's talking to a culture where that is the primary paradigm of their understanding. Right? But when we refer to sheep, we talk about people that are dumb and blind. Our reference is usually the lamb to the slaughter. In ancient cultures, how many sheep you had determined how wealthy you were. So their metaphor for sheep was wealth. So that when God refers to his people as sheep, he's attaching value and worth and meaning to their lives. We do not use sheep that way in our culture. We talk about the lamb to the slaughter. We talk about sheep. And I've heard pastors joke about it. I've been in meetings where pastors talk about you can't get close to too too close to people in your church because you'll get the smell of the sheep on you. Or, well, you know, sheep, they have to be led. But when you submit to a pastor, you put yourself in that paradigm. You put yourself in that metaphor. And, and so unconsciously, subconsciously, you're, you're, you are making yourself a sheep. Now, what does a sheep do? A, a, a sheep has no purpose, has no direction. They need, they're, they're, they're listless, they're lost, they, they need direction, they need protection from the wolves. It is a very disempowering message. There are other words that God uses to describe His people. How about a kingdom of priests? How about kings and priests to our God? How about sons and daughters of God? And you'll, you'll hear me use those references. You, you'll, you'll almost never hear me refer to you as sheep. Because I don't think God likes sheep much. I don't think the Holy Spirit wants you to be dumb and blind and stupid and need to be led around. And I don't think he wants to empower anybody with that kind of authority over your life. I I think that that model just needs to shatter. But I'm a radical. Always have been. So, (laughs) 
But my point is, is if we don't have a why, let me come back to my message. If we don't have a why, if we don't have a purpose, if we don't have direction that is that, that, that comes from a place of integrity on the inside, then that's exactly what we are. We're just wandering around like sheep. And so we get led about by whatever the media tells us. We get led about by whatever group has an agenda for us, be they Republicans, be they Democrats, be they advertisers, be they businesses, be they whatever that's vying for your, be they religious institutions and churches, whatever it is that's vying for your money, that's vying for your loyalty, and that's vying for your support, if you don't know your why, if you don't know your purpose, then you will become subjugated to somebody else's why and to somebody else's purpose. So the biggest question that we need to answer for ourselves is our own search for meaning or why are we here? Why do we do what we do? Why do we exist? And it's very easy for us to fall asleep. It's very easy for us to just get into the mundane things of life and never ask ourselves those questions and never think about what is our purpose. And so so you find yourself in a place where what used to work for you doesn't work anymore. And what used to make you happy doesn't make you happy anymore. And, and, and you're just restless and you're just, you're just, uh, there's a sense of unease. Am I talking to anybody this morning besides myself? And I've just noticed in the last couple of years in my own life that that has happened to me. It, it can come in any form. It can come in a form of dissatisfaction and discontentment. It can come in the form of what used to, uh, things don't taste the same in your life. And I'm not talking about your food. I'm just saying that, that what you used to enjoy, you don't enjoy anymore. It can come in the form of boredom. Right? And so then we try to fill it with noise. Uh, uh, social media or, uh, Netflix or, Whatever the case may be, because we're trying to drown out that sense of that, that awakening that's happening on the inside of us that says, look, no matter where you are at your life, you need to have a why. You need to have a reason. You need to have a purpose. Right? So we find ourselves tied to something. We, we, we can find ourselves. See, I just think there's a, there's a, there's a company of people, because I think we are in a shift of the ages. I talked about that in the last service. But but I, I think things are radically shifting and changing in our culture. And we have a we have a religious community, not I'm I'm just speaking by and large, the the face of the church uh on a macro scale, on a big scale in America, it, it has no answers. Has no awareness because our message is it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and Jesus is coming and the Antichrist is taking over and we've been doing that message and repeating it decade after decade, reforming it, reshaping it and remolding it to whatever current event. And we're consistently wrong. And at what point do we wake up and say, when are the, how are they going to remold next year's, I mean, how are they, how are they going to shape the next president to try to say somehow they're fitting into the plan of God? Or how are they going to reshape the next Middle Eastern crisis, Middle East crisis to try to shape it and form it into, well, the Antichrist is coming? I mean, do you, do you see what I'm saying? And, and so when we talk about the future on a macro scale, we don't have anything that's really prophetic that gives anybody a reason or a purpose or a why to exist because it just doesn't cut it anymore that we're here waiting on Jesus to come back. 
but the rea- but the reality is, but listen, but but the message that we're waiting for something resonates with us because a lot of us feel like that cult that's just waiting around for something. We don't know what we're waiting around for, but we're waiting around for something. We're we're tied to a, a post. <laughs> We're tied to a post. Somehow inside of us, we know that we were born for an hour. We know that we were born for a purpose. We know that we were born for a reason, but we don't know what that is. And so we're waiting on the Lord. We're waiting on something to happen, but we're getting restless and we're tugging and we're, but we're just stuck. I mean, anybody ever, anybody feel stuck? Anybody feel tied to something? Anybody feel like they're dealing with the same stuff a different day? Different week, different month, same issues. Same. Am I talking to somebody today? And I guess the good news is, uh, the Lord has need of you. <laughs> the Lord has need of you. Even in your tied up state. Even in your... <laughs> See, you got to understand, the interesting about this story, I mean, donkeys are known for something. They're known to be stubborn. Since we're talking about King James, if, if we use the King James language, he says, go into, the, go into the village and you'll find an ass that's tied up. And some of us can act like that. I got good news for you. God even loves the asses that are tied up. Come on. He even has a purpose for them. <laughs> he even has need of, need of them. So I guess what I'm saying is you, you can, I don't know what you think about yourself. Your meaning, your, your, how you answer that question. Why am I here? How you answer that question. What is my purpose? What is my meaning? What am I, what am I moving towards? And maybe you don't feel like you're moving towards anything because you've been tied up. And so maybe you answer it in a very self-depreciating way. Maybe you think you're not smart enough. Maybe you think you're too old. Maybe you think you're, you don't know Scripture well. And I, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to get inside your head. I really shouldn't. I, I have enough trouble in my own. <laughs> but you feel stuck. You feel tied up. You feel bound. But the Lord, He has need of you. But now here's the other thing. So, so donkeys can be stubborn. But this colt is a colt on which no man has ever ridden, which means it's also never been broken. So part of the problem with some of the way that we've approached our faith is we think that God is interested in breaking us. In other words, he, he's interested in just like your your dreams, your desires, your fiery passions, your that that stuff inside you um, needs to be controlled by God. That he needs to say, give you yes to everything and no to everything, and and so then we have a paradigm that perpetuates eternal immaturity. See, if if we shift from a sheep paradigm, if you quit thinking about yourself as sheep, if you understand when God called Israel sheep, He's assigning value to them, but that's a worn-out paradigm. It doesn't serve me. So you just refuse to think about yourself as sheep. 
And you start saying, I, I need to think about myself as a son or a daughter, but you understand that the purpose of children, again, going back to the ancient culture, if you think about the purpose of the children was to go into business. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. There's a difference between being about your father's business and being under your father's total control. Because dad doesn't want to have to control you because that just makes work harder. Anybody ever supervised? Anybody ever been a supervisor? Overseeing somebody else? Is it more work or less work if you have to micromanage? More work, right? Have you ever, any of you that have ever led people, have you ever thought it'd just be easier if I did it myself? Right? Okay, I got a few hands going up. This is a good thing. All right, so so you invest in a person, why? You invest in them so that you can relinquish control, not take control. The whole goal is to take work off of you. Otherwise, the the why of the employee (laughs) makes no sense. If it's not taking work off of you and you're the, you understand what I'm saying? Okay. If you're a business owner and you hire people, you're hiring people to take the burden off of you. But if you have to micromanage and oversee everything that they're doing, are you tracking with me? So when Jesus says, I must be about my father's business, it's not I'm seeking to live a life that's under this sort of meticulous where, where I give up my freedom. I give up my fire. I give up my passions. Are you tracking with me? But it's, 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 it's a relationship where God comes and empowers you and releases you and looses you and frees you, right? So that you can express who you are because that's who He made you to be in the first place. So God is about removing the constraints that prevent you from expressing who you are in your essence, who you are in your deepest, in the deepest part of your being. And guess what? That's a fire. I, I get frustrated with the language because it says God breathed into Adam the breath of life. But that's, that's not the picture in the Hebrew language. That God is breathing because he's starting a fire. I want you to get the picture of, of you know, how you blow on a fire to get it going because it needs oxygen in order to ignite. And so, so the reality is, is that when God breathed into Adam the breath of life, the picture there in the Hebrew is that he's blowing fire inside of Adam to ignite something inside of him. And we have been taught that our fire has to be put out. That our fire has to be brought under some kind of control. And what I'm telling you is that God came to ignite a fire. Jesus said, Jesus Himself said, I have come to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it was already lit. And so what Jesus did was He invaded every system of control, be it the Roman government or the Herod's uh, kingdom or, or or, or the systems of control of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was Jesus who looked at the teachers of the law and He said, you put burdens on people. You bind them, you don't loose them. You have the key of knowledge so they can enter the kingdom. You yourself won't enter the kingdom and you try to prohibit those who try to. And we live in a culture that wants to subdue your passion, that wants to subdue your fire. But I'm going to tell you right now that in the midst of that fire, I can't help my mind. I mean, I know I'm twisting it, but my mind goes to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? What was it inside of them? See, what we don't understand, everybody's bowing to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. 
Everybody's bowing to the governmental image. Everybody's bowing to the image of the empire. Everybody's bowing under this imperial, being brought under this imperial control, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refuse to bow. The trumpet blows, everybody bows, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow. And you know what happens? A fire gets stirred up inside of Nebuchadnezzar. He gets really angry, and he says, okay, so, so, so when he, starts the furnace, the furnace is simply the external manifestation of everything that's going on inside the characters who are in the story. Because it took some fire inside those three Hebrew children to say, I will not bow. That wasn't a gentle thing. It wasn't a peaceful, sweet little Jesus shep carrying sheep thing. It, it, there was a fire inside of them that said everybody else may bow. Everybody else may be doing it, but I got a fire inside me that won't let me bow. So then you got a fire inside Nebuchadnezzar that says, oh yes, you will. But the fire inside of the three Hebrew children was stronger than the fire inside of Nebuchadnezzar. Because they said, even if you turn it up hotter, even if our God doesn't deliver us, we'd rather burn than bow. Because the fire, we're not going to ignore nor the fire inside of us because of the fiery trial going on around us. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I mean, I am prophesying. There are some of you that you're going through changes in your life because there has been a fire that has been stirred up inside you and it's brought all hell down on you and you're living in a contradiction. You're tied to a post living in a contradiction because of the fires that are being stirred up around you. And the question is, are you going to honor what's inside you more than what's coming against you outside of you. And if you don't know how to honor your passions and you don't know how to honor your fire, then what's the Nebuchadnezzar is going to win. The imperial kingdom is going to win. And so we live in a culture where the imperial spirit doesn't want you to burn with passion. Churches that don't want you to have zeal. Churches that don't want you to burn with passion. They want you to follow their vision, not your vision. They want you to follow their values, not your values. And then because they're the institution, they'll say, we speak for God. When really what we've done is crafted an idol in our own image and called it God and played music and expected everybody else to bow. But there is a company of people, I believe it with all my heart, there is a company of people that have a fire inside of them, that have a passion inside of them, that have a zeal inside of them, that says, I will, I'd rather burn than bow. Because because they found a why. They found a strong enough why. They said, I may be waiting. I may be an ass. I may be tied to a, to a, to a post. <laughs> but I know inside me, I may not know what it is, but I know I have a purpose. I may not know why I'm tugging at my ties. I may not know why I'm pulling at what's binding me, but there's something inside me that says i got to be loosed and let go. And I'm waiting for a witness, because two in Scripture is always the number of witness. Not everybody's going to agree with your passion. Not everybody's going to agree with your purpose. Not everybody's going to agree with your why. But God will never leave you without a witness. Why do you think it was three Hebrew children? Because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So God did not leave himself without a witness in Israel. That he was the true God. 
So he sends two disciples to a cult who's tied, who has some sense the Lord has need of me, has some sense I've got some kind of purpose, that has some desire to be free. And he sends strangers. (laughs) He sends strangers into a city. Go to the village opposite you. Go to the people that are not like you. Go to the people that think differently than you. Somebody who thinks differently, somebody who walks differently, somebody you don't know may come and give you a witness that says the Lord has need of you and that's all you need. If two or three of you, or or two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask. You don't need a, you you don't win by popular opinion. You don't win by popular vote. All you gotta do is recognize the witness when it comes and then allow what's testifying out here to testify what's what's in here and let the two of you come into agreement. And at that moment, providence begins to move. At that moment, God begins to move on your behalf. At that moment, something gets energized in your life. Even if you don't have disciples that come, when you begin to testify to the fact, when you have an inner witness that God has need of you and something out here, any Anything in your life begins to register to the fact that yes, God has needed me. At that moment, the hand of God begins to move over your life and unseen forces begin to take over and whatever's been binding you and whatever's been tying you and whatever's been preventing you from moving into the next season, moving into the next step of your purpose. In Mark's account, in Mark's account, it says that the colt was tied at the door, not a door. He was tied at the door. At the place of transition. At the place where you leave one thing and step into a new thing. That the moment you begin to honor that fire inside, the moment you begin to honor your why, the moment you begin to honor your purpose and your destiny and the plan of God for you, the moment you begin to honor that on the inside, the moment you begin to look for what's supporting me instead of what's resisting me, what's supporting me instead of what's opposing me, See, if you look at the opposition, then you'll respond to the opposition and you'll get the opposite of your purpose. If you look at the opposition and respond to the opposition, you'll get the opposite of your passion. Because that's what's moving you. So we have to train ourselves to ignore the opposition and look at the witness that God has brought to us that says the Lord has need of me. I don't have to stay tied up here any longer. And the moment you just settle it and you say, come hell or high water, no matter what happens, this is how it's going to be. At that moment, unseen forces begin to untie you. Things begin to shift and change in your life. And you begin to experience a new level of freedom that you never experienced before. And you don't even know why and you don't even know where you're going. And then the owners get upset. Wait a minute. So then that brings to the next question. If you really want this, if you really want freedom, you have to identify who your owners are. Who owns you? Does your mind own you? Does your old mindset own you? Does Do people in your life that you've been catering to own you? Does some plan that you committed to because you thought it was the plan of God for your life own you? So you stay on a course that is not bearing fruit because, you're like, well, that's what God said. Does an old paradigm own you? Does a political institution own you? Does a religious institution own you? 
That's why I can never, I can't be part of a denomination because I can't sign your paper year after year after year after year after year because I'm going from glory to glory. And every religious institution is trying to cling to what was. And what God is looking for is a prophetic company that can identify what's about to be. That's standing at the threshold. And if you have to sign a paper that says, no, I only agree with what God did, you can't be a fresh prophetic voice about what God is doing. So the other thing about that cult is it's a cult that's never been ridden by any man. See, there's got to come something inside you that says, I'm not owned by man. I'm not owned by an institution. I'm not owned by a denomination. I'm not owned by a philosophy. I'm not owned by my job. I'm not owned by pleasing people. I'm not owned by my family. I'm not, I'm not owned. But your owners, they're going to get noisy. And all you have to remember is the Lord has need of me. Why are you, why are you leaving that post? You've always been tied to that post. Why are you leaving that post? Wait, wait, wait a minute. You were born to, to serve me and to help me. And what about me? And where am I going in my, no, the Lord has need of me. The most freeing place to be is when you're not owned <laughs> by anybody's opinion. And then it's kind of interesting because the cult has to leave the village of opposition. Go to a village opposite of you. See, as long as you stay in the village, all you're going to hear is the voice of opposition. All you're going to hear is the voice of the owners who want you to get tied back to that post. But if you follow the witness, (laughs) if you follow the two disciples, if you follow the witness, you may not know where you're going and you may leave a lot of noise behind you, but you're going to leave the village opposite or you're going to leave the village of opposition. And be ushered into the presence of the Christ in a way that you had not known Him before. And then it's very interesting. The very interesting thing. It doesn't say they put a saddle on Him. It says they put their clothes on Him. Which means that you may have to dress yourself for the occasion. You may have to change your appearance to conform to the new before you get there. You may have to act like you got it before you get it. But there comes a moment. There does come when when you allow your passion to awaken. When you allow your fire to awaken, when you begin to honor the purpose and the testimony of the purpose that you have, not only does freedom begin to come to your life, but there comes a point of convergence. There comes a point where everything comes together. When heaven, represented by Christ, meets earth, represented by the cult. And you leave the village of opposition 
where your owners are saying, Wow, what's happening? What's going on? What are you doing? And when you meet your moment, and heaven meets earth, and you reach that point of convergence, you find your people. You find your people. I've got to tell you, I've been through this process a few times. When a change in my mind caused me to lose fellowship, because even the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? And you come to a point, you say, I don't think like I used to think, and I don't agree with what I used to agree with, and those people fall away, and you find yourself on a solitary road, and all you got's a witness leading you, thinking, the Lord has need of me. The Lord has need of me. The Lord has need of me. But eventually you reach that place of convergence when a whole new world opens up for you and you find support for who you are. You find support for the purpose that God gave to you. You find support. After the, after the, the, the children were thrown in the fiery furnace, it's a very interesting thing. <laughs> the image, the whole image of the culture changed because Nebuchadnezzar now made room for the God of Israel. Because when they were in that fiery furnace, what did he look in and see? One like the Son of Man. You think it's Jesus. Watch this. Remember I told you, God breathed a fire into Adam. It was their inner fire that said, I'm not going to bow to an image because I am the image. Wow, amen. So that all that happened when they stepped into that furnace was the fire inside of them got revealed and everybody was able to look in and say, look, there's one Ben Adam, son of Adam. Because ultimately what was in them manifested outwardly. So that when you follow that and you step into your own Palm Sunday, what you've been carrying all along, Christ meets you there. And then all of a sudden you find your company and they begin to make room for you and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, you reach a convergence where what's inside matches what's outside. You become your own Victor Frankl, if you will, where the gift that you have to give to humanity has been tried in the fiery furnace. But your meaning, your search for meaning, your quest for meaning got you through the darkness and got you through the trials and got you through the prison camps until you come out on the other side where now you are as free on the outside as you were free on the inside. And now you have something proven to give to humanity that can be a real gift and can be a real blessing. Just because you're going through limitation doesn't mean you don't have a gift. Just because everybody's not celebrating you doesn't mean you don't have something of value to give to the rest of humanity. But until you believe in yourself, you cannot expect anything to change. Because until you believe in yourself, until you believe in your own dream, until you believe in your own passions, until you believe in your own icon of who you are as the image of God, all you're going to hear is the voices of your owners and the voices of your opposition. 
But when you make up your mind, I'm going to follow the witness. I'm going to believe in who I am. I'm going to believe in this journey that I'm on. I'm going to believe that unseen forces are working on my behalf. I'm going to believe that the Lord has need of me. I'm going to believe that I'm going to meet Christ in the next season and His presence is going to honor who I am and honor what I've been born for and honor what I'm doing. And then at that moment, there comes a point of convergence where as it is within, so it is without. As it is above, so it is beneath. And things begin to work and fall together. And now, and now, when you're in a good place of life, you're not frustrated. You're not discontented. Because you don't need the wake-up call. Because you've honored what you've been awakened to. Am I talking to anybody this morning? You've honored what you've been awakened to. And what you're carrying is so powerful that everything around you has to align with who you are. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Brothers and sisters, do not devalue your contributions. You may never have a big stage or a big scene where, I mean, you know, I kind of doubt they were throwing their clothes down and waving palm branches at the donkey. (laughs) But the king could have never got there without the donkey. Your contribution may be small in your own eyes. It may just be a little thing. It may just be smiling at people when they're grouchy with you. (laughs) Like what if you, you know, next time somebody's hateful, like customer service person is hateful to you instead of responding in kind, what if you just kind of made it your goal to cheer them up a little bit, engage with them, throw them off their game a little bit? They're curmudgeons and they're used to seeing that image reflected everywhere they go because that's how people respond to them. And all of a sudden you smile and tip them. You ever thought about tipping the person at 7-Eleven that just... I don't know. That just came out. All of a sudden they're like, you interrupted their pattern. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So you may have a small contribution, or you may think it's small. You understand what I'm saying? But regardless, there are people waiting for you whose liberation, whose liberation, because Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was all about the recognition of Messiah and their liberation as a nation. And there are people who their liberation, their freedom to be who they are, is you, you, you contribute, you play a part. You're one of the two disciples that sets them free. Maybe even it's just your ability to be yourself without compromise is going to give someone else permission to go against the grain and be themselves without compromise. And you don't even know that they're watching you. 
You don't even know that they're seeing you. You don't even know the impact you're having on their consciousness. But secret, they may not even know it themselves. But somehow, because you were walking in your why, and you were walking in your purpose, and you were being authentic to who you were, it gave somebody else permission to find their why. It gave somebody else permission to walk in their purpose. It gave somebody else permission to say, hey, I've been tied to the same post too. I've been living in the same village too. i got the same owners too. But if you can do it, I can do it. If you can break out, maybe I can break out. Because we're all connected. And every time one person gets a victory, no matter how small it is, it creates an energy that helps someone else get their victory. Every time somebody gets free from something that's binding them, it creates an energy in the, in the cosmos. It creates an energy in the consciousness of humanity. It creates an energy in heaven. It creates an energy in the spirit. However you want to language it or understand it, it creates an energy that then becomes a resource to someone else who's able to break out of their bondage, who's able to get free from their post that they're tied to, who's able to step through the threshold of their door that they've been standing at so that they can leave the old and step into the new. We are all all connected. So even if it's just a seemingly small breakthrough for you, it's contributing to the healing and the beneficence of humanity. I believe that with all my heart. There is no such thing as an insignificant breakthrough or an insignificant victory. For some people who are battling depression, just getting up and taking a shower and going out is a victory. And that's contributing. To some, for some people, just being able to be nice to their relatives. <laughs> it's a, right? Right? Yeah. I guess your relatives don't watch this. So. Sometimes that's just just that is a victory. It's a step in the right direction. But there is no such thing as an insignificant victory. You believe it? I do. Let's just take a moment and honor the presence of the Lord. And I want you to go within and honor the presence of the Lord within you. I want you to honor that icon, that image of who God is that you are. I got good news for you. You may feel stuck. You may feel tied up. There are unseen forces that are working to loose you and set you free. No matter what I believe that. If you don't have any visible support, you have invisible support. Holy Spirit, we thank you and we honor you for your presence. We honor you for moving in our lives. We honor you for awakening our passions, our desires, for stirring up discontentment in our lives, for never giving up on us, for always working to complete that good work which you've began in each one of us. Lord, I thank you that as I look out, I see lights, I see stars, I see people who brighten 
the darkness of this world, every single one of them. And I honor you for who you are. I'm talking to you, saints. I honor you for who you are as a saint. I honor you for who you are as the image of God. I want you to look at me. Open your eyes and look at me. You know, I'm not afraid to borrow from other traditions. I'm just not afraid to do that. I quit looking for demons under every rock a long time ago. You know, in yoga and Hindu, Hinduism, in yoga, they say namaste. You know what that means? When they greet each other, they'll namaste. You know what that means? Here's, here's a loose translation. The divine in me recognizes the divine in you, and I honor it. What a way to greet each other. It's a whole lot better than hello. Namaste. The divine in me recognizes the divine in you, and I bow to it in honor. So saints of God, namaste. And God bless you. Have a great day.